When it comes to thinking of topics and coming up with guest lists or determining who gets on and who doesn't here on the AI and Industry Podcast, uh, one of my main considerations is ensuring that whatever topics we come up with are going to be relevant for absolutely anybody who's active in the business world, anybody who cares about the bottom line. And luckily in the domain of healthcare, there's a lot of crisscross uh, with other worlds and domains in terms of the uses and applications of artificial intelligence that I think could be fruitful for a general business audience. This week in AI and Industry, we have Shelly Zwang, who's founder and managing partner of 112 Capital. Previously, she was with DFJ, Draper Fisher Jurvetson, uh, one of the better known Bay Area venture investing firms. And now she focuses a good deal, although not entirely, on sort of the data driven healthcare space. We speak today on two major topics. First and foremost, what does the progress of artificial intelligence in healthcare look like five or 10 years into the future? What kinds of technologies have enough traction uh, to make a difference there? Um, and actually, some of this mirrors uh, a lot of similar notions that we've heard in, in other domains, uh, particularly other stodgy domains like manufacturing and heavy industry and things along those lines. So it's interesting to see the patterns that Shelley's picked up on. But the second topic is around regulation. Any company that gets to a certain degree of size uh, and or any company seriously disrupting a market eventually comes to a head with regulation. Whether you look at Airbnb, you look at Uber, you look at Microsoft, you look at Google, you look at Amazon, they're all dealing with their own regulatory wrestling matches. Uh, in healthcare, young companies end up hitting that sooner uh, just due to the nature of the environment itself, finance companies to some degree as well. Uh, but healthcare may be more than most. Uh, safe to say more than most, have to deal with a lot of different regulatory concerns. Shelley has no simple answers to that, but she does have commonalities among companies that she's funded and worked with that have dealt with regulatory concerns well and have been prepared early to be able to conquer those hurdles sooner rather than later. Uh, sort of qualities of founding teams, uh, preparatory steps the companies take in order to better tackle those considerations to get to market faster and not get smacked in the face with the inevitable regulatory concerns that come up in healthcare. I think a lot of those same lessons transfer to any sorts of regulatory prep, whether you're in the finance space, whether you're looking to seriously disrupt any domain. Uh, I think some of these lessons are pretty darn salient. So I certainly had a lot of fun catching up with Shelly. This was done live at the Rework Autonomous Vehicles Conference here in San Francisco, where I got to actually kind of sit down with Shelly. So you might hear some footsteps in the background. We were actually right in the middle of a hallway it was while the conference was wrapping up. But I was lucky to be able to grab Shelly while we were both on our way out. And I certainly hope that everybody tuned in gets a lot out of this episode. This is Shelly with 112 Capital. So, Shelley, you folks have invested in a number of companies that are sort of combining AI with the genomics space. Um, talk to us a little bit. I think anecdotally I can understand, ooh, if we understand people's genome, we'll know how to treat them. That's so vague. Um, where do those connections really – where are those connections really made? Where might this technology really have a power to improve patient outcomes? Yeah, sure. Um, so I can give you a very specific example of a portfolio company called uh, Capella, C-A-P-E-L-L-A. Um, they've essentially built a computational platform that can characterize disease heterogeneity. So imagine ovarian cancer. Um, there's going to be different types of ovarian cancer, right? Um, and they once they identify this heterogeneity, they're able to then identify drugs that will be most effective for specific patient subpopulations. Hmm. 
Okay, so this is really using genomic data or RNA expression data to develop personalized medicine, right? So drugs can be more effective in a personalized fashion. Got it. And and um, now, is Capella just per chance? Are they focused particularly on cancer at large, particular kinds of cancer? So their platform is um, it, it's a platform, and it can be applied to different types of cancers. Cool. And they're working on different types of cancers. Got it. So cancer is kind of the niche, if you will. Sure. For them. Yeah. For them. They, they and, have and other. Um, they can also work on other disease oh, areas, okay. but cancer in particular is very heterogeneous. Genius, Genius right. yeah. And, and articulate what that would mean for some of the business audience. Some of these folks don't come from the medical space or maybe aren't familiar with that terminology. When you say aren't very heterogeneous, speak a little bit to what, what that means in, in uh, business. Um, it term. simply means like if um, both um, you know two people have um, ovarian cancer, right? On the outside, it sounds like it's the same disease. Uh, but if you look at their genomic data, for example, yeah. or their um, transcriptome data, which is the expression data of yeah. the DNA, um, it actually could look different. Mm. And because they're different, different drugs might be more effective for one group versus the other. Got it. And, and the information that needs to go into a system in order to make sense of that uh, would be historical diagnoses and potential treatments and how those worked out, you know, kind of running people through those circumstances and collecting that data. Hey, these people with this kind of genetic profile who tried this medicine really didn't respond the same way. Is this this the kind of information that needs to get compiled into this kind of platform in order to make those kind of distinctions? I just want to touch base on that. Yeah, so there's there's actually a lot of uh, public databases out there that profiles uh, gene expression data on different ovarian cancer patients, for example. And so the way the technology would work is to look through this data and find the heterogeneity and find the subpopulations. Got it. And and, uh, the goal would be to be able to present those ideas, hey, given this patient's genetic information, given these kind of precedents we've seen in the past, it does seem likely that the most popular drug that we would normally go to is, is really not going to be our first bet here. Um, it, maybe that would be a distinction that would kind of be coaxed out of out of this. Um, the idea really is to to subpopulate patients within the same disease and then be able to develop drugs oh, that develop would target okay, got it, got it. each subpopulation. So not necessarily recommend the, the best drug, not but try to develop. Okay, right. try to develop drugs. So yeah. it's, a, it's actually a drug development I, I, company. <laughs> I like I like selling to pharma companies more than hospitals. Uh, eight days a week. Yeah. Um, I, I <laughs> sure. I uh, ooh, I would so love selling to pharma compared to hospitals. Uh-huh. So good, good, nice, nice to see that they're doing <laughs> okay. that. I. I uh, I, we're going to talk about kind of the, the navigating the healthcare waters uh-huh. and how crazy that is. So, okay, that's interesting. So breaking down subpopulations into distinct groups based on some kind of patterns. Of course, this is what machine learning is good at, right? Exactly. Is yeah. a sort of discerning what are those patterns that maybe humans couldn't even look through if we have so many slices so and, data, and methods right? of information. Yeah. And to be able to say, hey, these are pretty darn genetically distinct groups you know, there might be one that's quite large that really isn't addressed by a current drug, and maybe that would be what we call like a drug opportunity, right? Is what we're talking about. Okay, cool. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So in that sense, genetic information would be used to find opportunities for helping patients and maybe large opportunities that are wholly unaddressed that might be a worthwhile investment for a pharmaceutical company. For sure. Yeah. I, I think one of the ones, one of the ways they will commercialize is to partner with a pharma company. Right? For sure. Yeah. yeah. The Mercs of the world yeah. and the rest of those big guys. Um, so there are, if I'm not mistaken, are there also companies leveraging this genetic information on the diagnostic side or are you not seeing as much of that? In other words, hey, you've got XYZ condition, 
and here's your sort of genomic footprint, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, here's what we might recommend for treatment. Have you seen any of that or, or is almost all the genomic work that you've looked at on more of the drug discovery and design side? No, I mean, it definitely applies to diagnostics as well. Um, and, you know, not specifically for our companies, you've seen a lot of work in doing blood-based diagnostics based on the DNA information yep. you can recover from the blood. Um, recently, we're even seeing saliva being used as yep. a sample. Um, it's less invasive than taking a blood sample. So definitely looking at DNA, RNA, protein, all kinds of uh, biomarker information to diagnose someone as early as possible is definitely a very active area. Huh. Okay, okay. So not just recommending treatment, but even using genetic information to help diagnose. Mm -hmm. So that is to say certain conditions might affect your DNA or RNA in a way that we could detect earlier than maybe other methods is where you're getting to? Yeah. So for example, if you look at Grail, right, the, the very large spin out from uh, Illumina, um, they're very well funded. Um, they're trying to use DNA and perhaps other information from the blood to be able to detect cancer early. Ah, okay. Wonderful. So, and that makes sense but it as also, well. You're right. Um, you know, yeah. existing blood-based tools are usually used to determine what drugs for a patient, right? Yep. So they detect this particular mutation in a DNA and there's a drug that targets that particular mutation, then they do a match, right? Yep. But we're also trying to move even earlier to, to see if we can use that information to do early diagnosis. Which makes sense. I mean, yeah. for something like cancer where you, you yeah, know, the, the earlier, earlier the better, better, no doubt about it. Sure. Um, yeah. So uh, Grail was a company that you had mentioned yeah. there. Mm -hmm. okay. okay. Understood. So in, in that in that regard, we're going to look at maybe patterns of what saliva or blood samples looked like with these folks mm -hmm. who had who ended up getting this condition and say, geez, was there something about yeah, that? Comparing essentially normal to disease. Yep. Right? Yep, yep. See what the differential, whether it's DNA or RNA or whatever, or yep. protein. Yep. And, and uh, looking at DNA data is, it's not just like, a, you know, a combination of you know, 16 letters, it's a very, very, very long string, right? So that would be something where machine learning would be necessary. If it was three or four factors, like, okay, what blood type are you? And how tall are you, right? These things right. is like, all right, well, let's get an Excel sheet. We're done. Um, yeah. But in, in the case of genetic information, the little tidbits of commonality across certain groups of folks mm -hmm. uh, might be indetectable by humans, mm -hmm. but detectable by machines. So, okay, right. so that's a wonderful example. Right. Um, if we look ahead, you know, to 2030, let's say, um, I don't, and I have no idea when and how these these technologies will become sort of the norm in some way. But but uh, if we just anecdotally, no, I'm not uh, I'm not going to have a crystal ball, neither are you. But um, <laughs> I, I I do like to kind of envision what the future would look like and paint that for for the audience. Um, if we look ahead, you know, ten years, maybe a little bit more. Uh, where where do you suppose the average person, me, you, walking into the doctor? When would we kind of bump into mm -hmm. the use of genetic information where we don't today? In mm -hmm. fact, I can't think of any circumstance, and maybe I'm lucky, mm -hmm. where I've needed any genetic information used. Yeah, but maybe sure. in the future, the yeah. same things that I haven't needed it for will be used. Um, where might it kind of be a part of the run-of-the-mill healthcare experience? Sure, sure. So first of all, it's not just genomic data, right? That's just one source of data. Um, and you're right, genomic data the cost of obtaining that data has come down drastically, oh, yeah. right? It used to be $3 billion to sequence a whole genome, and now it's a couple of thousand dollars, yep. right? and it's going to continue to drop. Um, but it's data, as I mentioned, it's RNA expression data, it's uh, proteomic data, it's epigenome data, there, it's microbiome data. 
um, bacteria in yep. your, your body, uh, metabolism data. Um, so it's all kinds of it's this it's a wealth of omics data. And as investors, we're seeing a lot of innovations on the tool side, tools that would enable us to cheaply and quickly read out this data, mm. right? Um, so I think it's very exciting for us to see the kind of the combination of this increasing availability of data married with advances in machine learning and software technologies, right, to extract insights from this data to then enable us to solve many, many different problems in healthcare, right? And that's diagnostics, therapeutics, treatment and care, you know, clinical workflows, all of that. And I think in terms of bringing it down to the patient level, we're already seeing gen general mix being used, right, for doing uh, pregnancy-related testing, right, NIPT. Um, once a mom is pregnant, you want to make sure the kid does not have trisomy, right? So that's yeah, usually yeah. a blood-based test. Okay. So that's already yeah, yeah. using genomic data. And I think in the future, um, as I mentioned earlier, I would love to have a annual blood test or saliva test yeah. right, that can do cancer detection, for example. I think that's one. If, if we can achieve that, I, I think that would be wonderful. And I think all of this data, it just, that's why we're very bullish on the sector is, um, you know, it's just a, it's such a great opportunity, um, such a great time right now that we can kind of combine the data and the software to really improve on diagnostics, improve on disease monitoring, improve on personalized medicine, right? Improve on clinical workflows, all of that, um, I think is, is going to happen. Um, some before 2030 and some yeah, yeah. after. Maybe yeah. after, yeah. yeah. So you, you bring up a great point, and, and you see a lot of this on websites. We recently did, uh, for the people who have already been on the Tech Emergence site, right now at the time of this recording in, in the middle of collating the data, but we just interviewed like 60 executives in the healthcare and AI space. We see a lot of multi-omics, the yeah. use of multi-omics, right? Exactly. Genomics and uh, biome and yeah. all these other ohms right. being leveraged when, you know, just let's say even two, three years ago, I mean, I never heard anybody say multi-omics, right. right? Now it's right. on a bunch of websites. So yeah. Um, yeah. so we're starting to see this trend in our own kind of market research as well, which mm -hmm. which is all uh, quite interesting in the last little bit. And, and you brought up kind of the prevalence there and that now it's becoming easier and easier to garner that data. So there's a lot easier of tooling companies mm -hmm. that are figuring out yeah. how do we get this that's right. quick and efficient. And, yeah. and that's, of course, going to feed the you know data crunching machines yeah. that are going to help with diagnostics and drug discovery. Um like you said, you know, maybe in the future you'd hope we'd have some kind of a annual saliva test or blood test or something uh -huh. that could baseline where we're at health-wise and how our body's responding. Because it is a bit of a shame, right? You know, you go into the doctor's office. It's kind of like when you go to the car shop. It's like, well, something's making a noise and it's broken and right. I, I don't have any other context, but, you know, tell me what to do. Exactly. If, if we have kind of a health story to follow, I mean, very it's just right. the, yeah. the, the, the rationale there is so, it's too strong to turn down that rationale. Mm -hmm. It's just too strong. Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody could say that we have anything close to an ideal circumstance in terms of treating patients. Uh, maybe in the future that would become part of kind of a normal checkup would be a baselining of your various omics, you know, your your biome data, your your genome data, your RNA data, um, and that we'd be able to see those fluctuations and maybe coax out risk for disease, coax out uh, maybe dietary suggestions or changes yep. in ways that we can't possibly do right now. That's right. Okay. So that could be part of the future of health is both in terms of preventative uh, and kind of behavior guiding, be able to do that so much earlier because we have a baseline of data that helps us do something other than fix broke people. That's right. Yeah. And, and I think fixing broke is the whole amelioration model by itself seems like 
man, I hope we can get past that. Exactly. You know, yeah. it, it's just a, a real shame. I think it's, um, I mean, currently we only go to the doctor's office mostly when we have symptoms. Yep, right? Exactly. So yeah. 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 Get there much yeah. Earlier. It would be, uh, you know, it's like, what if you only did accounting when you were going bankrupt? You know, like, like, wh why don't you do accounting all the time to make sure you're in a healthy position, right? right. Why, why don't you have data that helps you stay in a healthy? So maybe that will be part of the future yep. of healthcare. If these, like you said, the tooling companies bring those prices down, mm -hmm. that data makes its way into healthcare, and then we can start to leverage that for better, quicker drug discovery and a more embedded process of kind of healthcare based on really, you know, I hate to say like a dashboard, but mm -hmm. like a you yeah. know, what the heck's your info? How's right. it looking? Right. You know, right? right. What's Monitoring. my, what's my pulse, yeah. right? What uh -huh. do they do right now? They get my yeah. pulse. Yeah. How, how silly is that? Uh, so anyway, I can yeah. totally see the validity there. Last question. We can be brief on this, but you've undoubtedly given a lot of thought to this because you've invested, you know, substantial sums into companies in, in the healthcare space. How do you see these omics folks, these, mm -hmm. you know, whether it be, you know, Capella or otherwise? Mm -hmm. um, well, actually Capella selling a Pharma, which is whew, such an easier ball game, I think. Um, the people who are selling into kind of the healthcare proper, you know, the, uh -huh. the hospitals and doctors uh -huh. and whatnot. What do you see as sort of what smart teams are doing to mm -hmm. figure out how to get through the maze? In other words, sure. some people show sure. up and they say, "The tech is so good, I know we're going to win." Yeah. Um, smart teams, though, understand how hard this is. What are the commonalities of those sure. teams who approach healthcare with with real brains? Sure. So maybe we can just talk about diagnostics companies. Let's, totally, um, yeah. So I think it's sort of, um, it's still a long process, <laughs> even though they're not a pharma Good company. Gracious. But, you know, they need to first get what they call analytical validity, basically the test that you're developing, how does it compare to a gold standard? Yep. Right. So you might be making the test smaller, more portable, more point of care, or even, you know, affording home usage, right? But how does it compare, right, to a gold standard? Um, then you need to get clearance, regulatory clearance with the FDA. And then you need to get product market fit, like you would for any product, yep. right? And then lastly, you need to get payer coverage, reimbursement from the insurance companies. And each of these is a very lengthy topic on its own. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, I think on product market fit, um, I think it's absolutely critical the companies need to clearly understand where their solution fit into existing clinician workflow. How is your innovation going to fit into existing workflow? <laughs> and that can only be done through, you know, a lot of interviews, a lot of meeting with, you know, key opinion leaders. And it would be great if you can get at least several KOLs to get behind your value proposition. Um, another Another way we've seen companies um, get product market fit is also uh, partner with an existing larger company, someone like a GE or you know uh, Siemens or, or whoever in the yeah. medical space, and to get their new technology into market. And then on the regulatory and uh, reimbursement side, um, most of our companies would work with an expert consultant who have done this before, right? And um, they will come up with a plan, for example, on the reimbursement side, usually involves um, establishing and publishing your clinical validity, um, which means not only is my test accurate, but how does it actually impact a clinician's workflow? How does it impact his or her decision making? And how does the test make a patient's outcome improve, right? Those are really important factors for insurance companies to give you coverage. And sometimes we see companies also establish an appeals program. So if a claim gets rejected by a payer, they would robustly go back to the yeah, payer and say, yeah, hey, yeah, this yeah. is really needed for medical necessity, for example. Got it. Um, and then lastly, being included in some national clinical guideline 
like best practices, right? That's also really helpful. So definitely, I mean, it's. <laughs> I think each of these topics is is, is they're their own their yeah, own their book. Own, yeah. their own book. Never mind a podcast. <laughs> yeah. So let's just touch on those four one more time. I think it's important for you know executives, people in the industry, people looking to buy these technologies, start these companies to understand these factors. You mentioned product market fit. You mentioned getting reimbursement by the payers. You uh-huh. mentioned. Regulatory clearance. Regulatory clearance. And then the first one is just getting um, analytical, oh, analytical validity. validity. Yep. Like so accuracy of your yep. And, and it's it's funny because it's like you have three steps that maybe there's some kind of proxy outside of the healthcare space, but these become their own big projects when you're in healthcare that oh, yeah. don't exist when you're selling marketing tech that's or when right. you're building Airbnb yeah, or something, right? right? You just don't have to worry about it. So right. very, very interesting. So I guess hopefully the companies who come to you folks who have their act together, they either have that expertise from a tremendous amount of research they've done themselves, or they've got people as a consultant or strategic yeah. advisor who knows how to own those different areas right. so that they can marshal their resources forward and not get blindsided by, oh no, getting the insurance companies yeah. to pay us, right? Where yeah. they know how to tackle that yeah. already. It's usually a combination of both. The founders have oh. to do a lot of their own research yep. and then you also bring in outside experts to yeah. help you. It's tough to, to just say, well, let's let's hire the smart people. If you're if you're the person who the weight is on your shoulders, I mean, you, you have to know yeah. a certain amount yourself. Especially on the product market fit, you have to do that yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you got to dive in. So cool. All right, well, hopefully that's useful for some of the folks who are moving into the healthcare space as well as useful for people kind of trying to paint a picture of, you know, how are these blood tests and all these these companies are doing these innovative, crazy things with, with data that, to be honest, most people, myself included, wouldn't really understand how to analyze. Um, where's that going to make its way into the healthcare space? And I think we've got to touch on a good amount of that. Shelly, thanks so much for the Thank interview. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast. And thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives and top researchers and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes, or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in, and I'll catch you next week.